Well, if that isn't enough to almost blow your head clean off. Uh, yeah, the speakers are running a little hot tonight here in the bunker. This is your CFRU 93.3 FM election coverage for election 44 2021. My name is Scotty Hertz coming to you live from the Hertz bunker at an undisclosed location in Guelph, Ontario, Canada. And it is undisclosed for good reason. Um, well, we'll get into that a bit later, probably, maybe around the midnight hour. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks very much to uh, Tech, who kind of guided me through some things today to get everything in alignment. We're actually using a, a, an old uh, uh, telegraph line from the uh, Guelph Radio Railway that runs through the ward and to all parts in between. But we're also joining you uh, via the wonders of that set of tubes called the... Uh, um, internet i guess so you can find us on cfu 93.3 fm and i'm sure some of you out there are definitely listening to us on 93.3 fm and i believe most of the team that are joining us for the first part and for probably the rest of the night are in the waiting room now can i have uh, adam donaldson yes to the floor there he is adam a donaldson <laughs> co-host of uh this show which is well this this show is actually our election special adam and i have uh, many many election specials over the years uh, from the uh, its early beginnings in 2006 but we also co-host a show on open called open sources which is on uh thursdays at five i had to do an ah there i was like when is that show on it's only been six years how are you tonight adam <laughs> Uh, no complaints. Eager to get started. Even more eager to end it. Yeah, that's the election. That, the election, not the show. Yeah, that's, that is <laughs> that is probably probably very true. Also joining us via the wonders of everything tonight is uh, Christopher Curry. Christopher Curry, are you there? Are you there I somewhere in the ether? Present. You are. How are you today? Can you hear me? Indeed, sir. Uh, we can hear you loud and clear. It's, it's sounding excellent. I'm so glad that they left that uh, telegraph line. There's only one left, and it's it's hanging on by a thread. If you walk along through the ward, you can see it, and uh, it's it's just beautiful. It's just perfect. So, uh, how are you today, Ad uh, Christopher? I'm already mixing people's names up. <laughs> so much easier when we're all in the bunker together. <laughs> thank you, thank you. The Christopher the Curry is in the house through the ether and joining us. Yes, hello. Uh, I'm doing okay today. Uh, I was active last week with a lot of Guelph Jazz Festival stuff uh, and helping uh, to ensure that CFRU could feature live-to-air performances from locations uh, such as uh, the York Road Park. Uh, Brian, our operations director, was also actively involved with that, of course. Um, Today, I've been taking it kind of easy. It was uh, a day away from work, uh, just taking care of a few things. Uh, relaxing and voting, uh, which, of course, people should still do if they are eligible and have not yet done. Yeah, you got an hour and a half. Absolutely. An hour and a half or... Yeah, it, oh, both close, close at 9.30. Yeah. Okay, yes, that's right, sorry. So I guess there's certain things that we still can't say, but you know, we'll, we won't worry about that just yet but until it happens, which it won't happen. But but also, I'm very glad also to have joining us tonight for the first time, although I believe he has been on this station at some point in time, uh, U of G graduate, ex-president or former president of the uh, CSA, Central Students Association, and a recent graduate of the Sheridan College New Media Program, Jack Fisher is in the house. Jack, how are you tonight? 
Hey, I'm doing all right. Um, let me know if you can hear me. This is, I guess, the first time I'm testing this audio. Yes, um, we're, we're doing a lot on the fly, I guess, tonight, but we, yeah. we, will, we will get it sorted out. Yeah, not too bad. You can maybe ease um, in a little closer. Uh, gotcha. I'm coming to you over the internet on Zoom, as we've, you know, all learned how to use that. Yes. This year. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been a good day. Uh, I voted today. It took me It took me longer than I thought I would for an empty polling station. Uh, I was registered to vote, but got bounced around because I only had a piece of photo ID and not my voter registration card. So, uh, you know, it's all it's all fun and games. Oh, they sent uh, you to that line, right? The other eventually. line, the, ba- the yeah. not, not the bad people's line, but it's like, oh, you don't <laughs> you don't have anybody to vouch for you. Go go over there. Just go over there. Now, can I ask, Jack? Because I'm not. I know where yeah. the our other two are today. I believe so. Anyway, where are you? Are you in Guelph? Or are you somewhere else right now? No, I'm actually. Uh, I'm. I'm at my parents' house. Uh, oh, Oakville. okay. You didn't have to get that so specific. <laughs> yeah. And the, your parents' yeah. house is at an undisclosed location a, in the town of... That's fair. And uh, we're, we're in the riding of Oakville, North Burlington. So I've been paying quite close attention to what's happening down here in Halton. Oh, wow. Uh, as the, the election has happened. Because I got to vote here rather than in Guelph this year. But, you know, uh, I'm, I've got some, some other outsider perspectives to bring in here <laughs> yeah excellent yeah we love cross county yeah. stuff and also uh cross canada stuff which we will get to in a little bit as well uh so you're in uh, just curious now like north halton yeah it's a uh, sort of north oakville uh near near uh, like the the right the writing specifically revolves around dundas right so it goes oh, right, from okay. burlington to to the edge of oakville next to mississauga so it's sort of like the north half of it and then the south half of oakville is its own writing uh, yeah, the, if, the, uh, the writings yeah. have if changed. Quite a... Looking, if I can just interject. Yeah, absolutely. Looking for this name for the name of the writing alphabetically. The proper name is Oakville North Burlington. That's right. It's got a weird dash in there too, somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the ride the writings have changed. They lived down there many, many, many years ago. So yes, yeah, oh, this it... is a new writing as of 2012. Oh, okay, that's why. I've heard of it. Yeah. I had an incoming message there. So, yeah, the the listeners will appreciate there will be lots of beeps and blips probably and other stuff going on, but uh, because this is <laughs> this is absolutely live. So can I, I might as well ask our, our other, uh, the rest of the team now. Adam has come up on the screen. So, Adam, uh, you voted today, just mm-hmm. regular, normal voting. How was that for you? We've heard there's lots of problems at certain polls anyway. I've been doing, yeah, I've been doing some unscientific twitter research on that uh for me personally yeah i went to uh the saint lutheran's anglican church on silver creek that was my polling place um i had a brief wait not necessarily because of long lines just because uh (laughs) a polling polling station 105 there was a woman in front of me and i think it was her first time voting um so she was uh she was you know uh getting used to the the rhythms and the flows of uh of voting which i mean is the first time you do it is difficult enough the first time doing it in, in pandemic circumstances um is a, is a little bit of added extra difficulty but no i was in and out i don't think i was longer than 10 15 minutes and i from my unscientific research that's way it, the way it's gone for a lot of people there i mean you've probably seen a lot of lines on social media and a lot of those have been in the toronto area where there's understandably more people packed together in um smaller places and indeed there was a cbc report that like half the polling places in a lot of places in the gta they scanned 11 gta 
um, writings and the out of in, in those 11 writings, they had lost half their polling places. So that's understandable. In Guelph, the number of polling places lost was about 18 or 19. Um, so you did see some lines. There was uh, Rick Cole sent me a picture of the line in front of City Hall. Um, people sent me various tips about, especially at the Delta Hotel in Guelph, which was where all the on-campus students have been voting. Um, I have not seen any pictures of the, of the lineup, but numerous people have told me that there were lineups at the Delta Hotel, largely because of, of all the new students who were not just voting, but registering, um, because this is not their home riding, but they live here. And uh, the Delta was the place they were sent. And of course, that was advertised on the U of G social media, too. So if you're if you're a U of G student who woke up this morning and said, oh, gee, I have to go vote. Where do I do that? Uh, The University of Guelph social media feed uh, very kindly provided you that information and sent sent quite the swell over to the Delta. Uh, Well, and and that's so that's good to hear that uh, it's it's been busy because we know the polling stations have been uh, taken mm-hmm. off of campuses. And anyway, it yeah. is uh, I'm very pleased to be jo- uh, joined by our first guest, Lydia Radkan, Radkan, who is a uh, recently graduated student of the University of Guelph and is currently writing uh, on occasion for the Ontarian uh, for political matters. We've asked her to join us tonight. Lydia, how are you tonight? Hi, um, I'm good. Can you guys hear me? Yes, we can actually, mm-hmm. loud and clear, sounding good. So, okay, great. We're, I'm well, not sure I'm if you heard the bit great. off the top. We were just joking about the uh, technical issues we were having, which are none so far. So, fi- all fingers crossed, okay? Because we're, you know, a lot of this, uh, most of our election nights, even either whether they're in the station or remotely, are uh, there's a little bit of that on the fly quality, but uh, uh, t- so far so good. Yes, we can hear you very well, loud and clear. So I, I wanted to ask you, because I did ask the rest of the, the panel off of the top uh, in terms of voting, how did that go for you today or did you vote in the advanced polls? Yeah, so I actually voted today and I went out with my mom, I think around noon. Oh, nice, family um, affair, yeah. Yeah, we voted at the Centennial Arena, so it was there was a huge line. We were in line for like an hour. Whoa, wow. So, yeah, so it was really long, and um, it makes sense because our regular voting station was closed. But, yeah, um, we made it through, which is great. Trouble-free, but a long wait. Because I, I, we did notice some posts that, uh, you know, bring a chair if you're going to such and such a place. I live in the war. The Italian-Canadian club was like, oh, that sounds like it started off in the morning long and then got better as the day went on, which I think is generally how these things go. But uh, I guess with all the provisions and having to settle in with not just the COVID aspect of it, but the fact, you know, everything happened so quickly and the fact that a bunch of polls are closed, including the one on campus. Now, I take it you were you were a student here in the last election. Yeah, I was. And did you vote um, on I campus don't... then? or did I, Well, you live in Guelph, so you probably just voted at home. What? Yeah, yeah, I live in Guelph, so it was pretty easy. Um, I never voted on campus. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I just graduated in, a- in April, so... A super I'm... recent graduate. There you go, because we're all, I think we're all varying degrees of graduated from here. Although, Christopher, no. Did you? No. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, sorry. sorry, I just had to unmute myself. Yeah. Uh, no, I do not. Uh, I, I never attended the University of Guelph as a student. I, in my CFRU capacity, have assisted uh, instructors with designing courses around uh, the use of CFRU as a media space, but I've never actually been here as a student. Nice. 
Yeah, but when I guess when school's in, you're here every day, so that counts, right? I mean, well, I, I'm the an, presence, I'm an the presence is here. Because I was thinking back to, and it must have been 2015 when we hosted from the Boring, how long that on-campus pole line was. It literally went from the front of what was the old 103 through the UC and all around, which I took that as, as a good sign that students interested, energized, ready to go. And Lydia, I guess among, amongst your... Uh, student friends, and I guess it's a bit harder to keep in touch on these things these days. Are you, are you hearing anything from people? Is is there what what is the energy level alike among students right now? And I guess I could throw that to Jack as well in terms of uh, I, I haven't really been able to get a good feel as to whether yeah I guess because we're not in person we are now, um, but this kind of lead up to the election was was kind of remote. And the, the, the energy of 2015 or maybe even 2019 that you could witness on campus with events and clubs doing things, different political groups, uh, candidates visiting, is gone. What, what's your sense of that this time around in terms of student energy? Low, medium, high? Um, I think definitely low. Um, I feel like, especially amongst my friends, there's been a lot of political burnout, I think, just from the pandemic and all these new crises happening um so people don't really want to talk about politics um especially students because it's directly affecting them right now um so yeah i think pretty low and obviously on campus there they haven't been able to run as many events um to get people into the whole um like, like to get people ready to vote um so yeah definitely low is what i'm sensing and i think not having the vote on campus program was really difficult um for students now because there's they're a lot less inclined to want to vote um it just makes everything harder for them so yeah and uh, i would think there must be certain places where there are like the the polling station just out of convenience or whatever would be at the the college or the university, right? But like maybe remote, more remote. I'm thinking about up north like Sudbury, maybe not Laurentian, but there's there's got to be places where that would be the, the default place to have a polling station. But I, it sounds like the lack of polling stations around, we know what's happened in Guelph and in other places, may be, a, a, I don't know if they'll be able to measure the whether that's going to be a deciding factor this time around in terms of, you know, the number of people voting. I I my yeah. one of my predictions is going to be record low. I don't know how right on I'm going to be on that, but it's like yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Um, I think I read. Sorry. Oh my goodness! I I, Somebody's sorry. Uh, muffins are ready. I don't know what's going on. That was your phone. Um, I think I read that uh, the having the vote on campus was like it. It allowed voting for um, young people to go up like a 12 point jump um by 2015 uh so it's it was definitely a good program i don't understand why they cut it um yeah that's what i was wondering but yeah there's a, a couple of things i'm thinking here um uh, I, rem I remember 2015 i voted on campus in 2015 in that long line um and that was the first year of the the vote savvy program which turned into future majority 
which is the new uh, youth sort of lobby group, just to get students out to vote. Uh, I wonder now, thinking taking the polling places off campus, it, it would be really hard to track the statistics of that because while on-campus students voted on campus, they were encouraged to vote in their home ridings at the time. So in 2015 and 2018, um, in the provincial election. So now if they're going to the Delta to register to vote in Guelph, I wonder if that will change the number of students who are, are especially on campus ones who are voting in the city rather than voting at home. Because, yeah, it, it helped the youth turnout. And that was a terrible blow to just sort of student organizing in general. Um, not having those those center points of, of voting for, for young people, for the youth on campus sort of thing, uh, is definitely going to have an impact in some way, one way or another. Um, and to go back to your other question about my like friends or people that I know who are students or people who are sort of still around the student sphere, um, I'm I'm in a very different boat than Lydia, where it's it's the only thing on in any conversation has been the election for the last month, right? I mean, but that makes sense. I'm I'm kind of in. I was in that circle anyways, even when I was like in school. Right, so you Part mean the, the political circle or the yeah. media circle or the, both? Uh, the student political circle, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I ran for anything that I could, I could put my name in for. Right. <laughs> and so, so that's sort of where my friends ended up being as well. Uh, and so, you know, you do that enough times yourself, you, you can never look away again. Yeah. I think for me, I was also like in politics a lot in university and this year stepping away from it, like not being, not taking three hour courses a day of, poli sci kind of made me realize that there are other like people out there yeah, yeah. and um they don't share the same interests they're not as interested in voting i had a friend who like knew she'd be away in toronto and wasn't worried about getting her vote in at all and it was really shocking because i'd been around so many students who like talk about politics all the time but i think it's definitely the majority because i don't think too many kids our age are into politics i i agree with you it's it's definitely a smaller a smaller group than we want it to be i found that in 2018 as well um just when we were looking at the provincial election after the sort of fervor that we had on campus around the 2015 um, national election that was like incredible and like there was all this this talk about you know strategic voting and getting Harper out uh, when we when it came to provincial politics it just the, it wasn't there because it wasn't trending it wasn't a topic really we were talking about as a I don't know generation I guess um, and that's sort of the first time that I realized that I was in a I guess a minority of people around me or and around us at least that that was paying attention fervently these things kind of ebb and flow yeah. and you, if, you, if you watch politics long enough or i guess if you've been old enough to watch politics for a long time <laughs> you can you can sort of see the, like youth um interaction youth um involvement go up and down i mean 2008 was a very big youth um activation election that uh you know, did did result in another Harper minority government. Perhaps that's the reason why. But I mean, the 2004 federal election, which I remember because I was kind of around campus at that time, and 2006 as well. They were and at 2011 to an extent. They weren't very big, sort of. Um, in terms of like the youth experience and, and activism on the university, they just weren't that big during that election for 
probably various reasons. It, it, it's just one of these things that you're going to have a really great interaction in 2015, and then it's going to ebb off again. And I think we're at the low part of the ebb. I think when it, we come around again to uh, the 45th general election, whenever that is, um, we might see it start yeah, to up again. <laughs> It'll be pretty soon. Could, it could uh, be, yeah. Can I just uh, ask a quick question, uh, because I don't really think we spent too much time on this yet. Do people think that advance voting is going to be as big of a deal in this election, perhaps uh, um, making the difference, at least to some extent, uh, for the outcome, as some in the media have speculated? We, we know that likely, I mean, students won't in large numbers have voted in advance. But uh, looking at uh, the election more generally, will advance polling be a major story in this election? Go ahead, Lydia. Go ahead. Do you want to answer that? Um, okay. Put you on the hot I'm seat. Not too <laughs> sure. I'm not too sure if I know the answer to that. I definitely know that students are not fans of advanced voting or anything overly difficult. Um, but I feel like looking at the con in the context of COVID, it makes sense that it would be increased. Um, I, I also have heard that voter turnout is huge this year. So... I feel like that's largely due to the advanced voting, maybe. Maybe I'm just guessing there. But um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense if it's going to be increased because of what's going on in the world. Yeah, some, that's some a people good point. think. Sorry, go ahead. I think we won't have the final results uh, tonight because of advanced voting. And uh, I'm just thinking back to our presidential election coverage of last year. People might remember that when the uh, live broadcast came to an end, it looked as though there was a good chance Donald Trump would be reelected. Uh, and uh, we, we did note that advanced polls uh, had yet to be counted and that this could dramatically impact the end results. Uh, but we didn't know just how dramatic the reverse will be at that point in time well it sounds like yeah. the holdout might be uh, bc which has like if i understand it right a record number of special ballots so the counting of those may take time and depending on the margins uh it might be the the deal breaker on that that we don't hear there have been predictions that it will be a number of days before we hear the result and that's entirely possible as well considering how many paths there are to uh to vote this year there were about 880 some odd thousand uh mail out ballots so i mean it's I mean, there are five million advanced votes. So, I mean, do that math. It's not a huge portion uh, of the overall electorate. But I think to to take what you were saying further, Scotty, it, it will if there's a race close, if there's like a, a race where there's like 300 vote difference between the leader and the second place person and it's the writing where there's like a thousand mail in votes like that could that could change the the, the calculus a lot the question i think is um is the is the because there was huge turnout at the advanced poll it was way up over 2019 the question is is that a reflection of the active people who always vote in every election opting for advanced polls so they don't have to go to line up on e-day or whether it is reflective of an overall increase of voter turnout my guess would be it's probably more people 
managing their time better and also a lot of people still working from home so it's easier to like skip off for an hour and and go and vote than it is if maybe you're working at an office especially if you're like working in downtown toronto and you live in Guelph, for example so i i think that's the, the big question is the uptick in advance polls is that uh a reflection of overall uh voter interest in this election or just a reflection of the interest of people getting it done early and out of the way because they were decisive about who they wanted to vote for jack any thoughts probably have some sort of impact i mean looking at, at like the the presidential election specifically right um what we saw in the states was that the the early votes like you said uh christopher ha- it, it skewed politically right where a certain you know political class or leaning person the democrats were voting by a mail essentially uh and I, I wonder if that will be a similar sort of thing in canada or if it's it's more reflective of the pandemic itself like are the people who voted early or voted via mail uh people who are more concerned about the pandemic and and does that translate into the way that they're going to vote possibly i think mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i i am someone who has gone overboard with trying to avoid crowd situations during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite this, I did not cast an advance ballot. Um, the reason why, if anyone is curious, I wanted to be sure uh, that uh, I would be able to wait until the last possible minute, not the last possible minute, but the last possible day uh, before voting, vote on the actual day of the election, just in case the leader or local candidate of the party I was intending to vote for did something so impossibly stupid that <laughs> I knew voting for them would be a vote wasted. Um, I wanted to ensure that outcome did not occur. Uh, well, and that's possible, so, too, because we've, we've lost... I'm, I'm saying we've lost, but the, the election lost a lot of candidates along the way. It was like at least two of conservative, liberal, and new Democrat each. And I think there's some others tanked. And a green. And a green, yes. Yeah. So that, it's I mean, really that could be hard. significant, especially with like a one or two seat difference and one of them is gone. It's like it could entirely hinge on come down to something like that where it's like, well, we lost those two. We might have won those two. Maybe not. I don't know. I guess this is the stuff that remains to be seen. But is is it me or was that was that like a lot of candidates went down in flames before the election day this year? Like that might be some kind of record. I know they lose people all the time for various reasons. But this year in particular, it seems like a lot. I don't know. I I I thought it was kind of above, like below average. I don't know. That's how that's how it was I about average. I thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, things like this happen all the time. Yeah. Um, Usually I mean, involving I, I Twitter could, these days now. All right. It's like you shouldn't have tweeted that five years ago. You're done. It's not yeah. easy to find 333, 38 rather candidates um, that haven't said anything uh, <laughs> foolish or controversial in public. This is uh, a burden that parties have to deal with these days. Or who haven't deleted it on time. Well, it's it's not even that. It's like, you know, Raj Saini. I'm being in, flippant, but. Uh, right. I know what you yeah. mean. But I mean, it's it's not even just that. It's and it, it, what I think I will note, it's like like for Raj Saini, he survived two elections before this came out, like the allegations against him. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's that was kind of bizarre that, you know, it, he, he wins two elections. He's kind of a steadfast, steady, um, reliable backbencher. And then he's, and then, and then one day he's not. And now it, you know, depending on how the, the vote goes, I mean, that could be a green seat by the time 
the 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 night or the week is over. That's that's I, an interesting seat to watch. I just want to clarify. I wasn't trying to uh, belittle any of the more serious um, controversies that have arisen in the course of this election. My my point was that sometimes uh, candidates can be forced to step aside for things that they said when they were in their teens on Twitter that were maybe more failed irony than intentionally offensive. It's happened. Yeah. Right. So I just wanted to get back to Lydia for a bit because she's... Oh, uh, I actually have something to add in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let <Sorry. it> rip. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I was just thinking about how short the campaign was. And I feel like that, like, was a huge reason and why I voted on the day of, because I didn't have the time I felt like to really consider all the candidates properly. Um, whereas before um, the previous federal elections, it felt a lot longer and like there was more opportunity. So maybe mm. that would impact um, like early voting. Uh, maybe people weren't really ready to make that decision and they wouldn't have voted early because of it. Yeah, because Guelph, we we are known for like the record of one of the longest ones where it was the was it oh eight where it was the by election yep. and then there was the election and it just went on and on. If you think this one was long or short, it was like oh my, that was un unreal. I just remember talking election for so long and then it was like oh. But anyway, so yeah, seventy days and snap. So okay, well let's. This is I asked this of everyone. Also, I'll go to uh, uh, Lydia first in terms of. The burning question, should Trudeau have called the election or not? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I definitely was upset with the election being called. I feel like it's the worst time to do it. Um, everyone's stressed. The pandemic's not over. Uh, it, it would add to the stress to have a government change halfway through that. So I feel like that's a no-brainer. But in terms of if, if it's like... A, gonna help him politically i don't i don't know i feel like it'll just be another minority government i mean i definitely think it will so i don't really see the strategy in it either and i think it just stressed out a lot of canadians so anyone else will take that one or yeah uh i i think it was a bad time i, I agree with lydia absolutely i, I don't think we're gonna see a non a majority government. I, I don't think that's possible at this point. But I, I think time-wise, this was a bad decision based on sort of the, the political climate of North America and the world uh, in this incredibly polarizing, unfortunately, pandemic that we're in. Um, the the recent American election was was fire and fury for so many people, and I think it, it radicalized people to the point where, like, as a, a a, a pop culture media sort of world that we live in, um, we haven't had time to de-radicalize people from that that event. And so calling an event or an election this year uh, is, I, I think that's probably why we're seeing a rise in, say, the, the numbers for the PPC, um, where there's a lot of anti-COVID or anti-lockdown sort of sentiment going around that hasn't been properly debunked yet, even though it's been a year and a half and maybe it never will be, but it's it's been made a political pandemic, unfortunately, for all intents and purposes. And calling an election, while we are realistically still in the middle or towards hopefully the end of it, was a terrible idea, I think. Um, you know, politics, majority, minority aside, then... Uh, it's because Canada is so we're, we're, we see so much American politics. We got so much of the news of, you know, Trump and Biden over the course of the last two years that 
I'm worried. I'm worried that Canadians and some Canadians are voting along the lines of Democrats versus Republicans rather than having been given enough time to actually consider the candidates in their own writings. I think that's interesting, uh, Jack. I think that that is certainly part of the I mean, it's not what the liberals wanted the election to be about, but I mean, that is what kind of yeah. what it's become about. The The thing I keep coming back to is like, was this an election a cynical political calculation? Yes. Um, <laughs> but at, at the same time, I, I don't necessarily think like, the, the, you know, the cover story they have, it's like, well, we've been going through a pandemic for like two years. Don't you think you should have a say about like where we go next? I don't think that's necessarily the most stupid cover story I've ever heard, but I, I, I do, I, I do somewhat uh, agree with what Lydia said that, you know, it's, you know, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. Why are you adding stress to the possibility of a complete shift in government? And it would be a complete shift in government because I mean, like no disrespect to anyone, the chances are fairly unlikely the NDP is going to form a government or the green party or the PPC would have, I mean, PPC would be a pretty radical shift in government policy, but I mean, it's, it's going to be a liberal. It's going to be a liberal yeah. government, conservative government. But either way, it's it would be a shift, even if it was just a conservative government. The long term game, though, and I said this back when the election started, was like we got two elections in Ontario next year. We've got the provincial one in the spring. That is uh, a mandatory vote that has to be done, uh, and we have our municipal elections in the fall. And like you know, the a, a federal election would swamp both of them. So if I, I mean, if it was a choice between like maybe having a an early election next year, having one this fall, I think I would rather have it this fall and then have some general assurance that even with a minority parliament, we'll have a uh, you know a, a functioning government for at least a year and a half or two years after we get all these other elections out of the way. Granted, I mean, I, I'm a political animal and I'm thinking purely of my own enlightened self-interest. But I think the, the but I, I would also say yeah. like any any issue like the, the bigger elections, the federal and the provincial elections tend to swamp municipal issues anyway. And, and those the, the municipal elections struggle to get that kind of attention. anyway. So I'd hate to see like a federal election kind of override that and take uh, vital attention away from talking about municipal issues with municipal leaders. If I can now respond to the question, I think, of course, that the timing of the election was cynical. I think that it was predicated around the fact that the Conservatives had a new untried leader that no one was putting a lot of stock in. Um, but I can't really be too upset about this. Virtually any time a minority government calls an election, it is due to opportunistic timing. Uh Either they would call it or the opposition would call it by defeating them at the polls. And either way, it would be opportunistic. Uh, moreover, had it not been for the COVID-19 pandemic, we could reasonably have expected an election uh, this year or next. Uh, elections have been taking place throughout the course of the pandemic. Uh, I am slightly maybe on a personal level bothered by the fact that we have to have an election around this pandemic uh, with the attendant risks of that but it's not something that can be avoided uh, entirely um so i mean yeah because yes uh, but but i'm not overly but i'm not as bothered by it perhaps as some others might be this it's unusual this time around and that the government didn't fall like it it, it kind of collapsed but it didn't actually well the government really didn't fall collapsed. in 08 either 
Collapse is probably a, a, a bad oh, no, choice of words, but I meant eleven. I meant eleven. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Harper called two elections of his own volition um, at times that he believed uh, were good for him, uh, operating from a minority government situation. Th this sort of stuff happens all the time, and again, I can't really be too too upset uh, about that dimension of it. <laughs> For sure. Well, uh, Lydia is going to be leaving us soon because we've got another guest coming uh, down the pipe. Uh, you, you're obviously, you're, yeah, you're still there. I can see you on the screen. Um, <laughs> uh, are, are you going to, uh, you're sticking with the Ontarian for a bit. I know you're taking some time off uh, school, but uh, will we see your stuff in the Ontarian in the months to come? Yeah, um, I'm applying to grad school during Excellent. this year. For journalism so i'm gonna be writing a lot kind of getting my portfolio ready um and yeah i like writing for the ontarian so <laughs> you'll definitely see more stuff excellent well we love it and we love it awesome. when we're all back together and and down the hall maybe you can uh come by because yeah. it's 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 great to have had you on tonight and uh you're always welcome on open sources okay thank you okay thanks, thanks for Lydia. joining us we'll see ya sounds good bye Bye. That was Lydia Radkan, who is a student, recently graduated student of the U of G and writing for the uh, Ontarian these days. And uh, yeah, definitely check that out. I happened to see uh, her breakdown of the uh, the debates, which we haven't gotten to yet, but there's, there's still lots of times we can get to those eventually. We are joined by our very special guest. Uh, Nora Loretto has just joined us, who is, is uh, doing some coverage uh, elsewhere tonight. So uh, <laughs> we thank her very much for taking some time out to talk to us. Nora is is a journalist, author, co-host of a favorite of the Open Sources team, the Sandy and Nora podcast, and a uh, Talk Politics podcast, and has a new book coming out, Spin Doctors, How the Media and Politicians Misdiagnosed the COVID-19 Pandemic from Fernwood Publishing, and that is being released, I believe, November 1st. Nora, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm, I'm always happy to join anywhere that's got a broadcast range in the town I grew up in. So. There you go. But people don't know this, but Nora is from Georgetown, Ontario, not unlike Adam Donaldson. You guys are taking over. That's here. true. Yeah. yeah. What? Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, what high school did you go to? I, I went to JDH at uh, GDHS. I was class of 97. Okay. Wow. I went to Bishop Reading. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah. But I worked at uh, Georgetown High. I worked at the pool there. So. Oh, there you go. It's like, oh, wow. It, it's old home we're, week we're on open sources. <laughs> <laughs> Laura awesome. and I are best friends now because we yeah. both. We're both journalists who escaped Georgetown. So I won't ask where you lived. <laughs> so maybe off air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for people that don't know, Nora is in uh, in Quebec now, Quebec City. That's right. And uh, sorry, Nora, how long have you you've been there? Quite a while now, I guess. Eh? Or oh yeah, it feels like uh, not very long at all, but it has been eight and a half years. So I oh, wow. uh, I am officially excited to see the the one beside the block uh, results right now. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to ask you about that, because what, like, what's your sense in Quebec of the election? We were talking about this a bit earlier, about how people are just kind of like the energy uh, is down here. But I, I noticed on, on Twitter that there's certain uh, writings that you're following fairly closely, like Bloc versus Liberals. Do you think that's going to make a, a, a difference this time around in terms of how things are going to go? Like if the Bloc can like ride that wave and, and take out Liberals left and right, is, is it going to change? The, the government that we're going to see by tomorrow, probably. Right. That's such a good question. So so normally, if someone would ask me what is the federal politics like, what's an election like for the federal government in Quebec, I would say most people don't really pay attention or care all that much. 
this election has been really different. And I'm finding myself, um, I, you know, every space that I've been in, whether it's talking with parents of my kids' friends or the guys and girls I play soccer with, like it tends to fall back to federal politics, which is really, really interesting. Um, and so I, the, the last poll of like the popularity poll that I saw in the province put the liberals, the bloc and the conservatives at 32, 31 and 30 percent. Okay. Oh, wow. yeah, neck and neck. <laughs> neck and, and neck. And neck. And, Three necks. And, and, well, yes. And, yeah. and the NDP is going to, you know, it's going to at least get one seat, maybe two. Um, so it's a province that is so dynamic where it isn't just a two-way race, like in a lot of um, ridings in Ontario or like the entire provinces of Saskatchewan and, and Alberta. But, but it's, it's a legitimate three-way race. And actually in the riding right beside where I live, it is a neck and neck three-way race. So you can imagine like how... Um, people do have a lot of opinions on um, on the parties and and something that I find very interesting. So, you know, I'm downtown Quebec City. So this is a riding that tends to be a sovereigntist riding, which does mean that it tends to vote PQ and block. That has not been the case, though, in the last provincial and federal elections. We have a, a sitting cabinet minister in Jean-Yves Duclos for the Liberals, who's our current MP. Uh, but he only won by 345 seats in the last election. So he very well could lose tonight to the bloc candidate, Louis Saint-Fasson. Um, but a lot of people here are very preoccupied by the fact that the Liber that the bloc um, tried to support this really ridiculous tunnel project to connect Quebec City to the South Shore, to Levy. And I heard a lot of people saying that that was going to impact their vote. And so it will be interesting to see if that does happen or if at the end of the day, people are just like, no, I can't bring myself to vote liberal. And in my circle, people would never vote conservative. So for them, it really is a decision between liberals, the bloc or the NDP. I mean, we only have six candidates in our riding. So there, there it is. <laughs> and no worries probably about the, the people's. I suppose. Do you think uh, just no, this is a I, bit of I a side? I saw more People's Party signs um, when I was in Georgetown and Dufferin Caledon um, <laughs> and Brampton. And I said, yeah. here. they only went up here a week ago, whereas Sil <laughs> Carl, Sylvain Carr from uh, Georgetown, who owns most of downtown Georgetown, that guy is like, he's everywhere in Georgetown. And I also hear he's a bit of an asshole. <laughs> Ooh, I, you didn't get the memo about the swears, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, like that's, I know CRTC says that's okay. Oh, okay. That's yeah. We'll, we'll let it go. I've been on a radio. I had a radio show in a station that lost its license, so I can tell you what we're not allowed. <laughs> Christopher, you didn't hear any of that, okay? Maybe you should just mute for ten minutes. Christopher's our programming director, so uh, yeah, I um, believe but I. I, I think you, uh, an occasional slip up here and there is not the okay. problem. Uh, just yeah, for the record. B believe I think me, the a word is okay. Yeah, I guess so. Believe yeah. me, Nora. I don't I, think it's forbidden as such. I'm no, I'm the one with not, the crosshairs here in terms of swears, so uh, you know it's uh, especially the later it gets because it sounds like it's going to be a really late night. Uh, yeah, now, yeah. Kind of in in kind of relation to your book, there. This has been titled the pandemic election. I guess it is the the pandemic election, and it seems to be in this case because of all of that. There's probably been a more of a provincial influence on this one in terms of others that we've had. I'm thinking specifically of, well, of course, in Quebec, but in in Alberta, a bit in Ontario, where we saw Doug Ford, you know, completely disappear and prorogue and just get the heck out of the way. I don't, I don't really, I can't really recall off the top of my head where what has been going on in the provinces uh, has as directly affected an election, at least in, in uh, modern times. And uh, I'd like, are you getting a bit of feel from that? It was kind of like that is the how things are going back and forth like yeah 
Yeah, I think that there's no question that the, that the provincial provincial politics are playing a huge role in this election. And, and you don't have to look much further than the radio silence from Jason Kenney until this past week, the pro- prorogation of the Ontario legislature from Doug Ford. Uh, Brian Ballister literally just like piecing out. <laughs> John Morgan oh, yeah. hiding under coats. Um, Scott yeah. Moe um, also hiding under coats. I mean, these guys know that um, regardless of how connected they actually are to the federal parties that share their names or that share their ideology, in the case of Jason Kenney and Scott Moe, uh, that it, it is going to, it's a liability. And, you know, in Ontario, traditionally, Ontarians vote federally the opposite way that they vote provincially Mm. and so doug ford extremely unpopular really messing up the pandemic response is a massive liability for aaron o'toole and so it's not a surprise that doug ford prorogued parliament and has just like not talked at all (laughs) and and the distracting um role that the provinces play means that we have not actually had a serious discussion about pandemic management during this election like there was no question In the, in the debates, in the English debate or the French debate, the official debates, on how will you manage the rest of this pandemic? Like, at all. There's a question about long-term care. There's, you know, some kind of, re- like, questions around recovery. But that is ridiculous. That is shocking that there was no discussion about the role of the federal government. And what I would have expected to hear if we were a normal country, which, of course, we are not, uh, was um, <laughs> why didn't you invoke the Emergencies Act? Why didn't you use the Emergencies Act to force all data collection to look the same or to close certain massive uh, industrial outbreaks instantly? Like there were so mm-hmm. many ways that the federal government could have intervened uh, very much within its power within the Constitution. And it did not. It didn't do any of that. And it left most of it up to the provinces. And so, surprise, surprise, we're seeing just this incredibly uneven um, pandemic at this moment where things are really on fire on reserve, which is the direct responsibility of the federal government. Another thing that has not been discussed at all in this election. And things are on fire in Alberta. The Northwest Territory is worse than Alberta and uh, Saskatchewan um, versus like Nova Scotia. That's just testing the heck out of everybody. And they've managed to keep COVID at bay. So it's it's a real it's a real indictment on federalism and it is a real indictment on the quality of our political discussions in this country that that is not something that was talked about during this election at all. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. that kind of leads into something else that you've commented on a lot of times is how uh, the media covers elections. Uh, in particular, the mainstream media I'd sort of would you know remove ourselves, I guess, from from this <laughs> yeah. question a little bit. But I mean, how, how do you think that? The mainstream media could do it better. You've mentioned certain things about the pandemic and that, but what, like, there, there's lots of things that aren't being talked about at all. And we just, we seem to be, and I'm, when I say we, I mean what we're presented with from you know, other larger, I don't want to name an organization, but we know who we're talking about here, mm-hmm. who kind of present their thing the way that they do and the way the debate is presented and it's all channeled a certain way. But like, how do you think that could be, this sounds like a massive ask, but how do you think that could be restructured <laughs> to sort of bring more into the conversation rather than just, you know, one week it's it's the fires and then two days later it's Afghanistan and we're not, you know, there's the focus just kept changing. Then it bounces back to pandemic and now we're here today mm-hmm. and then tomorrow it'll be something else probably, right? Yeah, well, if I was um, uh, like making the decisions about coverage, I would take my journalists off of the campaign bus like right away that would change coverage in a tremendous uh fashion right like having embedded journalists like having embedded journalists in afghanistan is going to give us a a a story that is de facto 
driven by the candidates themselves, right? And that's all we got was, well, here are the three candidates today and here's the big story on the campaign trail, right? And so there's really no ability to step back. There's no ability at all to analyze these things. Um, You know, during the debates, like asking a single question about, hey, uh, Mr. Singh, what is your plan for climate change or something like this? When you literally have the plan written out in front of you because they mm-hmm. have the plan, they have released the plan. You don't need to ask that question. Um, so that's that's also something like like very simple kind of fixes. Um, but in a more fundamental way, uh, you know, the demise of local news, you can see that very, very clearly in this uh, in, in this election, in the pandemic as well where there's just no local voices to give uh, pressure on the parties to like really force them to take positions on local issues. Um, and, and you really only see it in, um, in centers where there's a strong local culture. So, you know, in, in Quebec City, there's a candidate who's running for the Conservative Party. His name is Alupa Clark. And um, Alupa was the MP uh, before 2019. He took the riding from the NDP. And he, uh, you know, he's like, he was saying basically ethnic national stuff in the newspaper so the guy's not good but you look at his flyer and literally the number one and the number two issues are all about the environment and pollution which i do not expect a single conservative had on their flyer uh west of montreal <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, um and i don't know if that's because there's a stronger local media here than there is in most national uh, most capital cities in this country or cities the size of, of quebec city uh or if it's um just that the parties are so much different on the ground here because the culture is different but that is so fascinating to me and and we don't hear anything about how the local races feed into the into the leaders um the leadership campaign all we hear is what singh said today what o'toole said tomorrow what trudeau said yesterday mm-hmm. And part of that was the the pandemic too. Like you 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 couldn't have these big events where the leaders come to town, and not only the the national press is there, but the local press is too. Um, like things were kind of very much. I mean, also the events that themselves were designed to be hit and run. I know Aaron O'Toole was in Kitchener on Saturday, but it was made mostly so that cameras could film him walking down the street, fist bumping people sitting on the patio. There was no okay. opportunity for press questions either. And I mean, it, it's both kind of the, 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 the way campaigns have functioned now, but it's also a fact that the pandemic has made the coverage that much smaller by limiting how many people are able to stand near a leader at any given time. Right. Yeah. So, Nora, we've, we've hit the top of the hour, and you've got another engagement. Actually, we're past the top of the hour, but I know you've got another <laughs> engagement to go to. Uh, it, it's, it sounds exciting, actually. We'll probably follow a bit of that, too. There's so many screens up. Uh, j- just before you go, can you give us a bit of a, a, a rundown about your book? Yeah. Yeah, and don't worry, I'm not uh, I'm not um, pressed, as we say. Oh, you're not? Okay, concerned. sorry. I, I, saw no. the, I saw the star-studded panel that you're on, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this looks like it's going to be... It's much better than us. Uh, well, except that you've already given me more than 10 minutes, which I believe is what I'm getting. Well, you can you can stay as long as you like. If you've got time, you're more than welcome to stay. You're almost local. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, so I've got this book coming out. Uh, the book looks at the first uh, 18 months of the pandemic, so from January until July uh, 2020 to 2021. And I look at the pandemic in the way that it was spun by journalists and by politicians. And so what I mean by that is how come Canadians like were just all they got from from the messages, the official messages they got, whether it's from politicians or from journalists, was just like nonstop anxiety. Um, You've got to do more. You've got to do more. You've got to do more. And then nothing that I personally could do was going to change the course of this pandemic. It wasn't going to keep me safer. It wasn't going to keep my family safer because everything about the pandemic was oriented towards erasing 
the community role that 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 is played in spreading this illness right and so at the at the expense of talking about community responses or funding um, communities who are hardest hit things that are really obvious uh, instead we just had all of these personal narratives that uh, that were intended to completely obscure what was really happening and so i tell the story through um every month of that period of time like well from march until march 2020 2021 and uh, every month has a theme so it's not actually really in chronological order but i look i i, I drill into um uh, uh sinophobia and the anti-chinese sentiment that was like at the start of the pandemic and how that framed everything while Journalists in Canada really should have been asking questions about the United States. Um, I talk about long-term care. I talk about uh, gender issues. I talk about disability and outbreaks in the workplace and the narrative of personal responsibility and CERB and, and, and education. And then really, really important, I talk about racism and policing, racism and the virus and racism and the food processing industries. So it's really long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I only had a couple months there. to write well, not, it. Oh, but yeah, most of the bases there for sure. Yeah, I tried to. Um, and, and I really, because I had to stop in July, not really knowing what was going to happen. I mean, I had my guesses what was going to happen, but I really want this to just be a record because what was very clear uh, from the start of the pandemic and then every like three weeks was that there was this active forgetting that um that that they that you know people in power journalists and politicians were trying to get us to forget what just happened and you can really see that in this school year right we're we're all going to school as if it's just like last year all over again right and it's like yep. it's not like, like sorry we, like you know 75 percent of people are vaccinated like this is a different this is a totally different game now but we're still talking about as if we've learned nothing as if we've done nothing more uh, of course we haven't done um more in a lot of cases but we're not living the same moment that we were last year but but we're being told that we are and i mean well and speaking of keeping the record too because you were one of the first ones if not the first that was keeping statistics on particularly the the casualty rate across the nation and i think people were using your numbers and there was no it was just like well we have these numbers well where did they come from well it's actually came from Laurel Loretto and nobody really said anything are you still actively compiling that or is that kind of in other hands now like yeah i know i'm still doing it oh yeah. so on top of everything um, else say wow my goodness yeah well it's not nightly anymore because the deaths are not happening so much which is just wonderful and that's yes. a testament to the vaccines um having like instantly stopped um mass mass casualties which is wonderful um yeah i was the first doing it um i i did it just because i knew that finding these numbers was going to be such a pain if i didn't do it and i, I kind of thought that like at least one national uh, journalism agency would do it but that they would do it in a way that like was a like a visual or some sort of like graphic that they could be like, oh, data journalism. Wow. Look at my graph. And I would just be like so <laughs> mad because then you'd have to like search through their graph to get the number you're looking for. So I was like, no, I'm just going to do an Excel spreadsheet. It's going to be open. People can can grab whatever information from it that they want. And then to my honestly, to my surprise, I ended up being the only one doing that kind of data work. Um, and so on residential care, there was a couple of other projects. There were certainly some provincial based projects, some, I mean, I'm counting on one hand here, um, that were similar, <laughs> Yeah. but I was the only one to collect, uh, the number of workplace related deaths and the only one to collect the, the gender and the racial information of those deaths and of healthcare workers deaths. And, um, and I'm the only one trying to track deaths like tied to large outbreaks as well. So we have a, bit, a better idea of how many people are dying from church outbreaks or how many people are dying from 
um, you know, a, this, a salon uh, as a customer rather than as a worker, right? Or how many people died because their mother worked in a long-term care facility and then uh, she came home and, and the father got infected and died. So I'm, I'm trying to track all of that, but it's pretty difficult as you oh, can yeah. imagine because it's like the data is so garbage, right? Yeah, and this, yeah. there are so many holes in that. Essentially, you're bringing up workplaces too because that's, that's also something that, there, there aren't many of us that work on that file cabinet. I know you do in terms of, of labor and, and unions and whatnot. I guess, well, we could probably dedicate a whole other chunk of time to, like, how the unions uh, handled the uh, election. But I guess we can't really get into that too deeply. But um, anyway, Nora, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, yes. anytime you know you're available, if you're in, in, in the neighborhood, well, I was say in the neighborhood. We don't need to worry about that now. But uh, <laughs> Just keep your old county in mind. No, it's, that's fine. But uh, thanks so much, Nora. I really appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully thanks, Nora. Talk, no problem. Talk to you in the Have future. Have a happy election night, guys. And to you. <laughs> See ya. Thank you. Cheers. Good night. And there you have it. That was Nora Loretto, journalist and author, co-host of the fantastic Sandy and Nora Talk Politics podcast. A little bit of bias there, but it is one we, I, when I say we, I believe Adam listens to it too on a regular basis. Maybe I shouldn't speak mm-hmm. for him, but yeah, no, it's, it's... No, no, I do. Oh, no, it's it's a great podcast. And Jack does I too. I recommend it to anybody. There you go. Yeah. All, all, all <laughs> votes, all votes point to Sandy Nora. So it's it so nice to have her join us tonight. One thing we did in the last provincial election, just before the polls closed, was talk about some of the fringe parties that were running that did not have candidates in the Guelph area. I will put that out as a possibility of something that we could talk about now as we are waiting for the big onrush of news to suddenly hit us at 9.30. Sure, because that is classic open sources uh, wheelhouse let's say. I uh, I was trying to find out where John Trammell was running. I didn't see anything. His, his Twitter has kind of fallen off the map. People don't know John Trammell. Brandt, is... I believe. Where? Oh, he is I running. Be- okay, so he is in this time because I, uh, for people that don't know, John Trammell has scored a century, 100 elections, uh, and is in the Guinness World Book of Records for running in the most elections. And he did run here in Guelph, notably in the 2008 election that I mentioned. It was the one time he didn't lose. Before. The, the, the by-election. That's right. So he's, you know, he didn't, he's 99. Because the election was called off. 99 oh, losses. Oh and one DNF, <laughs> I guess applicable. you'd say. Yeah. Uh, like in the, the rally, did not finish. So, yeah. So he has, I don't know if he has a soft spot for Guelph. I don't know if he has a soft spot for anything. If you've seen his Twitter <laughs> lately, he sounds like he's gone full conspiratorial. He hasn't gone over to the peoples who seem to... Uh, uh, I have confirmed John Trammell is running in Brantford, Brant, this election. His 102nd election, by the way. And he is appearing on the ballot as John the Engineer Trammell. Uh, most people, <laughs> when they are running for public office, don't give themselves uh, a wrestler name, for lack of a better phrase. No. But uh, John Trammell... <laughs> has decided to do so did he, he um, must have legally changed his name then because it's the legal names that are on the ballot right so maybe he has i i don't know wait does that mean you can have the as part of your legal name now if so you can have whatever is have, your legal name i mean legally changing my name to the christopher curry is always an option you can tell we're at the point before the main polls close yeah. people um by the way my personal favorite <laughs> my personal favorite candidate on the ballot is uh, actually someone running for one of the most definite fringe parties uh one of the classic fringe parties of canadian history that still exists uh in a, a different form from what they were initially but uh the rhinoceros party they are mm. still around uh yeah. there is a candidate running for the rhinoceros party and i believe it's the quebec city riding with the name alan smithy do people get why that is funny yep okay one <laughs> anyone else 
Adam the movie guy, of course you would get that. Okay, I'm not shocked at that. Do the other people uh, here know why that is funny? No clue, but I'm the senior member okay. of staff here. It's like, I'm like, ah, whatever. I don't know. Alan Smithy is uh, the name that used to be used in Hollywood as a fake name that a director could um, have appear on a film instead of their own name if they lost control of the project partway through. Um, this is why I think a, a television version, maybe I'm getting the details of this wrong, Adam, you can correct me. A, mm. the, a television version of David Lynch's Dune was credited to Alan Smithy rather than David Lynch because they had to make so many cuts uh, for uh, the the TV broadcast, and there have been uh, other instances of famous people uh, using the name Alan Smithy rather than their real name because they didn't want to be associated with the final version of the project. Now, Hollywood largely stopped using the Alan Smithy tag after Eric Idle of Monty Python fame released a film with the title Burn Hollywood Burn, an Alan Smithy film. The film is about an individual, a director, who loses control of a film but cannot get his name changed because his real name is Alan Smithy. Oh my and... gosh. <laughs> that was actually Joe Esterhaus, uh, uh, writer of Basic Instinct. Mm hmm. I think and that's yeah, I, Eric, for this week. Eric, I'm, uh... Eric, <laughs> Eric Idle is in it, and uh, Sylvester Stallone and Jackie Chan have cameos. But it was Joe Esterhaus. Oh, it, I he... I thought it was an Eric Idle film. I I apologize. I think that would be um... cool if there was candidates named <laughs> Sylvester Stallone and Jackie Chan. Idle elsewhere. Idle plays Alan Smithy in the film. Correct. Yes, that's right. Okay. That's that's where the confusion uh, lay. Uh, anyway, uh, so we're, alternative we're now parties. Only Let's twelve yeah. minutes. Yeah, what, uh, okay, the, we had Animal, uh, sorry, I'm going to blow their name because it, it's totally escaped me now. Well, animal, they're actually running here, of course, uh, yes. in Guelph. Uh, the well, Animal Protection, Protection Party. Party. We had yeah. we had their candidate on the show. Adam spoke to her. Yep. Karen. Uh, uh, just, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, there are 27 people running for the Rhinoceros Party this election. Wow. 27. Hmm. Wow. Okay, mostly That's, in Quebec, I'm guessing. I know there's one in Mississauga uh, Lakeshore because I I know some people down there and they said, hey, we have a rhino this time. So. <laughs> the, the Rhinoceros Party actually finished second in two Montreal polls in the 1980 federal election. Uh, that was at a time when the Liberals under Pierre Trudeau completely dominated Montreal at the federal level. Um, no other party had a chance of winning and uh, the rhinos basically ran a savvy media campaign, you know, acknowledging they were going to lose, but but uh, just asking people to loan them their votes because, hey, to be a good story. Uh, it was noted that if Canada had a system of proportional representation, the Rhinos would have won two seats in 1980. Um, anyway, mm -hmm. they, they are yeah, Maybe that's why we don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> some other... Well. So anyway, we are... It is just past the 9.30 drop. Polls have closed, although, as mentioned earlier in the show, many polls will still be open, because especially the ones that are lineups outside of them. I think particularly the ones that still have lines outside of them. It sounds like one of them may be local over the Delta Hotel. Uh, no, not local, but local to... Guelph. There's probably others in town because, as we know, there are less polls to go around now, so it's a lot busier, and some have been busy all day. There's been some problems uh, with Elections Canada, and there have been some problems with uh, people at the polls. One thing I, I want to pose to the group at this point, we didn't really take care of this uh, at the beginning of the show, but now that polls have closed, I, I want to ask the question, what are people's predictions for the night? 
Oh, you mean like a total, like what is... Well, like predictions, overall predictions locally, um, predictions uh, in the region, uh, any anything you want. Okay, let's put that to uh, Adam. Oh, dear. I think... <laughs> I think it's probably going to be a smaller liberal minority. I think... Um, I mean, there are a lot of factors going into that. Number one is uh, it wasn't a great campaign for Trudeau. He wasn't able to leave a lot of the the stuff behind like uh the question about why there was an election and broken promises and from the past and things like that he just couldn't escape it the old trudeau charm just couldn't work this time but having said that uh you have aaron o'toole who's um a new element in the race this is his first election he's coming off a leadership race where he's saying things like take back canada uh we need to fight for free speech and all that now he's kind of running to the center people aren't sure what to trust um like which Aaron O'Toole is the real Aaron O'Toole I guess is kind of that I mean and, and Aaron O'Toole ran a very good campaign too and the other thing I'll point out is that um Trudeau had a rough first couple of weeks like an especially rough like the news cycle wasn't working in his favor Aaron O'Toole had this yeah Afghanistan in particular but Aaron O'Toole had the same problem in the last few weeks and it forced him to cancel his uh leadership profile on ctv national news they did like a sit-down interview with uh for five minutes well i guess they edited it down to five minutes with like each of the national leaders so with singh with trudeau with paul and then aaron o'toole's turn came up and he he welched last minute not a great sign and not a great sign of confidence if you are going into election day uh feeling like you're the prime minister and waiting so i think just all these factors together you know there's nothing particular i mean nora outlined a lot of the issues with the pandemic response but i mean just from looking at the whole thing generally um it's not like we had seven hundred thousand people dead from covid so just by (laughs) you know the the worst case scenario trudeau hasn't done too terribly so i think he will probably manage to uh win the night and i'm gonna go so i'm gonna go so far as like no matter how this night ends whether he wins or loses it's his last election he can't run again he's too tarnished he's been beaten up too many times in this election locally uh i think lloyd longfield could be accused of hunting people for sport on at 12 lake conservation area and he would still probably win but uh <laughs> it's it, it, a running man <laughs> I, I i just i i have that feeling is all i like lloyd hasn't gone out of his way to offend people he's you know he's what what is that thing that measures your timing on top of the piano the metronome that that's Lloyd Longfield in a nutshell. So I'd be very surprised if he didn't win locally. And Michael Chong and Wellington Halton Hills, for that matter, since we're also talking sort of the immediate surrounding area. I think I think those are as close to sure things as you're going to get tonight. Jack. Yeah. Um, I I honestly I should have been paying more attention to Guelph. Uh, I, but I, I'm sure Adam has that on on lockdown. Um, I know where I'm at. So earlier we were talking. I'm I'm currently in the Oakville North Burlington riding, uh, and so uh, in 2012, uh, Burlington and Oakville were sort of split down the middle. So there's three ridings between the two town slash cities. Um, here, I I think based on just everything that I've heard and, and seen in campaigns, we're looking at the Liberals sort of also keeping their seats. Uh, the local candidates here have been representative of the population, and unless something has changed dramatically in sort of the overall population's perspectives on the leaders, um, I think Karina Gould, Anita Anand, and Pam Demoff are likely to keep their seats as well. 
So that's uh, uh, Karina Gould is Burlington. Uh, oh, Pam yeah. Gamoff is the Oakville North Burlington. And Anita Anand is Oakville proper. Right. So liberal yeah. across the board. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably we're probably likely to see in like nationally a, a federal minority with the liberals in the lead. I, I don't think Aaron O'Toole's campaign was strong enough to take him over the top kind of thing. Mm. I could be wildly wrong. I, I'm I'm interested to see what happens in the West. I, I really don't know what the vibe is in that direction. And I know that the, in BC specifically, uh, the Horgan government hasn't been winning any favors, or at least not not many. Uh, from a lot of the people there who might be, you know, debating liberal or conservative. So mm. I'm, I'm curious to see how BC turns out, but that'll be later tonight. And that could be potentially, I don't know, a swing in one direction or another, especially around the Vancouver area. Yeah, because BC is 40 some odd seats, I think. And that, yeah, it's it's well, definitely going to be. And the leaders, in, including uh, Anime Paul, actually went out there at least once. So the, it, it is all kind of in in play out there. I think it is going to be one of the areas that may decide. Because as we normally see, there's the, what, they still call it the blue wall, like from Manitoba over. It's just like blue, blue yeah. provinces. Mm-hmm. But then in play is BC and, of course, Ontario. If you, it, We're still in, in the world where if you don't take Ontario and pretty much a good chunk of Quebec, then you are not the government. I think there is definitely something to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Nora's theory about the close uh, seats in Quebec. That will be something to watch because if we've seen uh, out of, well, particularly the debate, but there was the, uh, there was a little bit, it sounded like there was a little bit of a bump there for the block because uh, Quebecers mm-hmm. tend to kind of close ranks when you go after them, right? It's like, oh, you're yeah. going go to go after this? Well, hang on here. We, we've got our guy and he's, <laughs> he's going to, you know, so that, that may or may not play out, but it, it it's it's definitely going to make a difference in terms of and i kind of align with adam and not because we do this show uh, all the time either uh <laughs> but in ter- it's the, it's the strength of the minority the, think yeah. think back to the beginning of this which is only what 36 days ago the goal was trudeau had a majority and the liberals had a major they had a majority in the crosshairs and then it just starts to tip all the way through it's like fourth wave pandemic is getting worse we've got tragic provinces uh then all of the other issues that he's been beaten on and adding to that Aaron O'Toole didn't seem like this evil whatever that they were trying to make him out to be. Although in the mm-hmm. in the final days there over the past few days, you're hearing this, oh, and you know Aaron O'Toole doesn't uh, people aren't vaccinated and all the, all of these points that are trying to hit him on, and he's like, no, I'm saying people should get vaccinated, and he like he doesn't he doesn't seem like the the the, the kind of uh, evil presence that they're portraying him as. Now, I mean, if he became the government, it remains to be seen what would happen. We wouldn't know until that happened, but he's not not he he's definitely in play let's say they didn't they didn't rub him out i think like they thought they were going to and then of course there's um and i actually meant to ask lydia about this about jagmeet singh and his appeal uh to the youth is this yeah. is this sort of direct appeal uh, and it looked it looked that way to me that the ndp was definitely going for the youngins and i can say well, that say that who somebody is is <laughs> who is in his fifth decade uh, can can say that uh, having seen the ndp over the years but this time around it's kind of like you know we're just going to uh, we're going to TikTok it till we drop. And will that make a difference, especially when we're saying that when we hear that students and I, I use students generally, but anybody with the, yeah. within that age slice, are they 
as energized as a party like the NDP and perhaps even the Greens think that they are. Because they think, they believe right now, I think, that they've got that vote cornered. But if that vote doesn't show up like any vote, if your core doesn't show up, then your numbers are going to be terrible, right? So Right, and that's that's true, too. I think you could say under 30 almost in that category. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I, for me, who is somewhere between 20 and 30, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at... at that that spread the people who are on TikTok tend to to trend towards the lower half of that and whether or not they show up like you said is going to be a huge like determinant in whether or not you know the NDP gets those votes but also where are those youth right are are they in Ontario and Quebec where it matters where the NDP are probably going to get their seats they haven't run a terrible campaign and I, I don't think they're going to lose anything dramatically but like I don't know if they've made many gains necessarily and so it was there enough of a youth vote to swing it but was there enough of a youth vote for the people who don't remember 2015 to and their strategic voting because that was what i was voting regardless of how i voted that was at the back of my mind you know should i be thinking about who's going to win in my riding versus who's going who i actually you might want to vote for one way or the other um and i like that was a huge media push that i'm sure i can't be the only one who remembers and so that's anybody who was you know 18 in in 2015 and that's that's still a lot of that youth vote that they're targeting are people now confident enough to vote NDP when they didn't necessarily in the last election or two. I don't know, but that's something I've been thinking about. I think it depends because I think Jagmeet Singh made a pretty compelling case to for, for not to vote for Justin Trudeau, but he didn't make a very compelling case about why to vote for Jagmeet Singh. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to go back to these CTV interviews, but I did watch them all. And it, it just, you know, uh, he was sitting down and and I think the reporter was Omar Sajidin. And he said, like, what are you going to do with the Keystone XL pipeline? And Jagmeet Singh goes, well, it was terrible. Justin Trudeau bought it in the first place. It was terrible. And, yeah. and Omar Sajidin is like, yeah. So, but what are you going to do with it? Because you can't just like have it hanging around half built. Like, do you sell it? Do you like scrap it? Do you just write off? Like, what are you going to do with it? And he couldn't answer the question. So, or wouldn't answer the question, or maybe didn't have an answer to the question. Jagmeet Singh has to define himself beyond like, I'm Justin Trudeau, but like cooler and more sincere. And I'll actually do this stuff. Yeah. Um, Did he close that deal with voters? I'm not sure. I, it was just something I, particularly picked up on seeing like he went great gangbusters with the Trudeau bashing, but I did not hear a lot of, you know, vote for Jagmeet saying like in, in terms of like what that will get me as opposed to having somebody who's not Justin Trudeau prime minister anymore. Earlier today, I thought to myself, the most likely outcome would be another liberal minority government uh, with liberals getting Somewhat fewer seats than they did last time, but not a complete uh, bottoming out. Uh, The Conservatives would likely gain some, the NDP would likely gain some, the Bloc would likely lose some. Uh, And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the numbers now as they're coming in and... uh, you know, uh, not dealing with specific writings, but looking at the bigger picture for the popular vote, I'm I'm starting to think the Liberals might actually do better than people were anticipating based uh, on just the numbers alone. Uh, 
Nick Nanos is usually pretty reliable as a guide to how elections turn out, uh, the Nanos polling. And he did show something of a swing to the Liberals uh, in the last week. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, there was maybe a little bit of a swing from the People's Party to the Conservatives that was kind of balancing that out. The, the parties were, were basically neck and neck at around 30%. Um, and I, I was expecting, um, as such, uh, the Liberals to maybe lose the popular vote uh, by a bit, as they did last time, uh, but still come out on top overall i'm skeptical now um you know mm. again uh, it's too soon to say uh, it's too early to say vis-a-vis the numbers coming in from central canada and the maritimes are still skewing everything and they do tend to go more toward the liberals i'm starting to wonder if the liberals might not end up um in a better place than people expected probably not a majority the one thing i'm confident about reasonably confident is that there won't be a majority government at the end uh, of the night or at the end of the week when the final uh, results uh, are called um but uh but maybe trudeau will do better than people expected a lot of you know a lot of uh what it means to be successful in politics is exceeding expectations. Mm. I'm not so sure this is going to be Trudeau's last election. Um, maybe on a personal level, I might prefer that to be the case, but uh, I, and you know, <laughs> maybe have a smarter person as the leader of the Liberal Party. That that might be a, a, a nice thing. Um, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. I'm I'm confident, of course, that there will be at least one party uh, looking for a new leader when the election is over. The Green Party uh, of the major parties—that's that's a virtual given. Um, but uh, I I don't know if Trudeau will decide that he needs to step down when all is said and done. Uh, Locally, Lloyd Longfield, Michael Chong will be reelected. No, no great shock there. And I will say Michael Chong, uh, among, you know, pretty much the entire conservative caucus, uh, he may be the one that I have the most uh, respect for. So I I have I have no problem with him going back to Ottawa as the representative of the area surrounding Guelph. Um, Well, he's a regular guest, too. So we're down with Michael Chong, right? So, yeah, I'm not I'm not someone I'm not someone who's inclined to. No, no, no. He's he's generally very popular, very well liked, but also willing to to kind of deviate a bit and take a stand on his own, as we saw with the, with his time with the Harper government. So that's when a he lot of people. From cabinet, right. Almost no one the does. only one ever, right? I believe. Yeah. I think you're right, yeah. He's the only one ever. Way, so, you know, that's uh, a lot of people, I think, in, in uh, the writing have respect, massive respect for that. By the way, we, we've yeah. had, I, I think, uh, the first uh, c- uh, called writing in central Canada, uh, Mégentique l'Arable. Um, sorry for my pronunciation, I'm trying. Uh, it, this is in the part of Quebec where the Conservatives actually dominate uh, uh, south of Quebec City and going into the eastern townships. Um, it was expected the Conservatives would keep this writing. They did. Uh, Luc Berthold re-elected. All right. There you go. Yeah. He called it. For those curious, and in neighboring Beauce, where Maxime Bernier is running, yeah, the Conservatives are ahead, and Bernier is in third place. Third place, wow! Oh, yep, that's with eight out of two hundred seventy-two polls reporting, so not necessarily the full picture. I didn't think that Bernier was going to win. I didn't think the People's Party were going to win any actual seats. This would seem to bear that out thus far, um, but uh, we don't know for sure as yet. No, I think the, the problem with a smaller party like that is that if, if you're busy traveling around rather than being the leader, like, or sorry, being the leader rather than concentrating on the writing, and his family had a long history in that writing, right? Because it was his dad. His father used to be yeah. the MP. So it's kind of like, 
we see this lineage in lots of places from the Fords and you name it. Uh, I don't know how much of that was going on there, but, uh, you know, just, just vote for him because he's fam. Uh, that's that's probably all. And he lost it last time, right? I don't know if that was a, did. Yeah. Yeah. a complete wash or was it not by much? Uh, it was by a significant amount. Yeah, actually. so it's uh, Dream On, Mad Max. Speaking of really? leaders and, and the races they're in, I've seen some criticism this election of Enemy Paul's, Paul's decision to run in Toronto Centre where uh, she's not necessarily expected to win the seat. Um, is there any, have you, has, have you heard anything about that? Um, do you think she's going to win it this time? No. No. Uh, <laughs> do yeah, I think, do I, I I think there will be a next time? No. No. The, yeah, the no's <laughs> are pretty unanimous there, I think, Jack, probably. I don't know. Adam, yeah. what do you got? Like, uh, I'm going to reserve any uh, call of time of death on enemy Paul's political career. I think, I mean, yeah, we have to keep in mind optics, too. Um, I mean, what are the optics of, like, ditching the first black, first Jewish, first black jewish female like party leader like after one election especially since elizabeth may had uh, she was she was party leader in 06 so she had 08 11 15 19 and never grew the party beyond three seats i think i think it's a bit i I think that would just be it would it would just look horrible it would absolutely look horrible under normal circumstances i would agree but i i think that the party i think i think i think especially under these circumstances i mean because you also have to think about it through the i mean if it was just inter-party stuff okay but the green party of canada never got more coverage on the news than when they were fighting each other and i i mean i i i don't 100% know for sure that there are people working in the Green Party who are able to embrace this level of reality, but no disrespect to Green Party people, but just, you know, from the naked political coverage of it, you guys were at each other's throats, and that's the that's what gets the media's attention on you. That does not help the cause at all. Like, they need to handle it. They need to handle their stuff, and they need to handle it internal, internally, not in the press. And, uh, you know, that's, I mean, that's incredibly difficult, but it's it just like, th- th- whatever the Green Party's problems are, are not going to be solved by throwing enemy Paul under the bus tomorrow. No, I'm just saying. I was a bit confused because initially it was like, she's not going to leave Toronto Centre. And then all of a sudden she was in PEI and then East and West. And that's that's what a leader has to do. And I'm not sure if it was, you know, the, the rest of the, the party had said, you need to go and do these things or it's going to be a complete wipeout. Now, just focusing on Toronto Centre for a second, you've got a mm-hmm. strong, progressive black candidate in, in Marcy Ian who is very popular and well-known. And was on TV for years. And was on TV uh-huh. for years, which, which works to advantage to, I don't know if it'll work for Tyler Calverod in, in uh, uh, Kitchener way there, um, <laughs> but it definitely worked for somebody... At the level of uh, uh, Marcy Ian. So it's, I mean, right out of the gate, that writing is a tough challenge. Now think about it. Going back with Elizabeth May, she pretty much crisscrossed the entire country before she could find a writing that she could win. Remember, it was it was mm-hmm. uh, Nova Scotia. There was talk of her running in, did she run in London or she was going to run in London? Uh didn't run in London. There was even talk of her running in Guelph. And then she went to the West Coast where she eventually won. And we saw this with Jagmeet Singh, too, because his, he's from 
he's from out this way. He's from Ontario, but he went he went west and won. And I'm actually surprised that he didn't come back to Ontario to run. But I guess, you know, it is what it is, right? Uh, so yeah. a lot of jumping around like that. But yeah, the, 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 the stuff that came out, and there was, there, I think there was a point there where the star uh, had something every day on the greens, right? It was this daily kind of like, then there's this and there's that. And then they had leaks that they could not plug, right? And that's the, if, mm-hmm. if you don't yeah. do the lockdown on your party like that, and that kind of stuff is trickling out, uh, you know, that kind of toxicity just sort of feeds on itself. And then people have to have to surface and defend themselves. And then Anime Paula is continuously defending uh, herself. I mean, t- to see her in the debates and that, solid, intelligent woman, you know, like all of that stuff that we know uh, is going on there. And that that's fantastic. But when you're, when the, what sounds like the infrastructure is crumbling around you when you have internal strife like that internecine battle that you cannot overcome it's going to hurt you regardless of how strong you are or how strong you're perceived to be right and that is the challenge that will be the because i I believe uh if she loses her seat and depending on what uh, the outcome is of this election there's a leadership review anyway i think I'm sure one of our green oh, yeah, friends yeah. in town can chime in on that, but there is well, there's she, definitely she doesn't a currently have a seat, right? No, no. But in terms of the, right. uh, as being the leader, I think that's you mean that, Green Party seats. Green Party, yeah. It, oh, right. There's an okay. immediate. I think there's an automatic leadership review. I hope I'm not positioning the party. Yeah, yes. That's I'm true. sure we'll hear about it. I've got that wrong, but I'm almost certain that that's what happens. And general, I mean that. I mean that's generally the case. If any of the leaders uh, lose their seat in this round that they will probably be gone or step down right that's as we saw with uh, sheer last time um mm-hmm. you know so that's that sort of goes without saying but in terms of the smaller a uh, smaller operation like the greens i'm fairly sure that there will be uh, a review but you know we'll see right silence the sense upon the crowd uh, james bazan re-elected in selkirk uh, manitoba that's not a shock either uh he of course was the person who defeated edward schreier the former governor general of canada in i believe it would have been 2006 uh schreier's decision to come out of retirement to contest that election was not one of the better career moves that i've seen uh, overall i thought it was a joke when i first heard it and maybe it would have been better if it just had been a practical joke that he uh, was uh, uh playing but uh yeah um uh in the absence of a star candidate for one of the other parties. There wasn't really any doubt that James Bazan was going to be re-elected for the Conservatives. Uh, he, in fact, has been. Uh, Christopher, uh, was Schreier NDP? Edward Schreier, yeah, of course. So I thought, yeah, NDP. I thought so. Yeah, yeah. But did I say liberal? No, no, no. I just, in my own head, or, I'm going back in time. It's like, yeah, because he was like the first NDP governor general, right? Yes. Well, no, he wasn't. He was, well, I mean, yes and no. He wasn't... Uh, the representative of a party while he was governor general. No, of course, course not. Uh, but, but no, he, his his roots, let's say. Yeah. Was he around he long was, enough for it to have been CCF? I'm not sure. He actually was a CCF MP uh, from 1959 to, I want to say, well, uh, then to 61 when, when it became the NDP. Uh and, uh, I mean, he is still alive now. He has to be one of the uh, oldest former parliamentarians now that Paul Hellyer is no longer with us. Um, Dean of the retirees, Hel- I guess. Right? Yeah. That- well, not, he's not quite at that level yet, but, but close. Paul Hellyer, uh, people, if people don't know this, he died recently. He was uh, the deputy prime minister under Pierre Trudeau, uh, the first one in 1968. He ran uh, for the leadership of the liberals uh, against Trudeau, uh, was seen by some as a front runner, was also seen as being kind of eccentric 
and lost. Years later, he became more famous for talking about UFOs. So I guess the people who called him an eccentric in 1965 knew, or 60, what am I saying, 1968, knew what they were onto. Um, and uh, I can report, by the way, that Jean Chrétien's old writing of uh, Saint-Maurice Champlain has uh, been called for the liberals. The liberals are keeping that writing. Uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne has been re-elected. Uh, if you need to kill time, just feel free to ask me ask me something else about Canadian political history. Oh no, there's no killing of time. But yeah, it's it's uh, fascinating. I'm glad you have you have all this just sort of in that the card catalog of the mind. Uh, Paul uh, Hillier was also a conservative MP for a while as well. At one point, he was the only liberal MP in Toronto. At another, I think he may have been the only conservative MP in Toronto. Anyway, sorry, Adam. Jack's got, or I think Jack will well, chime in there. Well, just no. before that, that, I just wanted to say that I, I, I recognize Paul Hillier because he's since become like a regular contributor on the Ancient Aliens program. That he, he, Are you serious? Really? No, no, really? seriously. No, I believe he's, you. I believe you. That's why I was laughing. <laughs> he's a regular contributor, like on, on the newer episodes, like the, former. The, he is deceased now, but uh, but was recently. Yeah. No. He's. Yeah. He was. Are, are we talking about the same Hillier? Yes, we are. Okay. Okay. Not yeah. Randy. <laughs> I'm no. sorry. Until very recently, he uh, like before his death, he was like popping up weekly on Ancient Aliens. To, that that to, sounds about right. Uh, he 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 just died about a month ago. Okay, so for clarity. So yeah, all right. I didn't have that in my bingo card. The ancient aliens will get mentioned on our show. Okay, I I I was kind of skimming over this. Uh, Paul Hellier was a cabinet minister under Pearson, then again under Trudeau. He left the Liberals, and I think it was 1971. He was actually, if you can believe this, one of the people. He provided most of the money to start up the Toronto Sun when it was founded as a paper. Um, And he joined, he was almost going to join the Social Credit Party. He didn't. He joined the Conservatives, ran for the leadership in 1976. He was seen as the front runner, but uh, he gave a bad uh, speech uh, when he was uh, 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 at the the convention itself and lost kind of badly. He rejoined the Liberals in the 1980s, uh, but then couldn't get a party nomination. He lost to John Nunziata in York South. Um, and then he founded his own party, the Canadian Action Party, in the 1990s, and that continued into the 2000s. Uh, they become, well, they're no longer around. They they ultimately ended up becoming kind of a, a weird conspiracy fringe group. Uh, although under Hellier, they were something a little bit more than that at first. I'll put it that way. Uh, the alien stuff with Hellier came around somewhat later. And uh, yeah, it definitely consolidated his reputation as an eccentric. Um, moving on from him, uh, Carol Hughes has been <laughs> has been reelected for the NDP in Algoma, Manitoulin, and Kapuskasin. That's a writing I have some familiarity with. Uh, uh, that is not surprising that she was reelected there. To me, this always goes back to how electoral reform is really necessary in this country. Just simply for though that fact, for the fact you know these these kinds of arrangements alone, it's like come on, you know, like <laughs> we haven't had a party clear forty percent in quite some time time for the final results yeah i I think did the conservatives get get 39 percent in 2011 or did they get past 40 i'm trying to remember uh, or was it was then that the one that had the lowest percentage? But they, they were the government. There was I can't remember. I, I'm uh, just the it was the lowest voter right? turnout. Yeah. in 2011, lowest voter turnout, lowest percentage that formed the government. Right, 35. Why is 35 jumping out? I can't remember. 
I don't know. The, the, no, they, they won. They, it was 39 and a half, 39 um, and a half. In, yeah. in 2011. And and no party has managed to get uh, that high even since then, I, I don't believe. Wow. I think the Liberals in 2015 were also at about 39%. Uh, I might be misremembering this one. I'm going to check before I... I 39.4. There we go. Uh, so... Went the last time a party would have cleared 40% for the final result at the federal level in Canada, it might have been 2000. I mean, my God, I, that's that's shocking to think about that way. But uh, depending on how well uh, the Liberals did in 2004, which I can't remember offhand, and uh, the Conservatives in 06 and 08, it, it may have been more than 20 years since a party has polled above 40%, <laughs> not 50, 40% well, actually, at you're, the federal level. Christopher, you're bang on. 2000, Jean Chrétien's Liberals won with 40.85%. But in those, that was still the days of the Conservative, were they the Alliance at that point? The Alliance uh, that Conservative? Was, it was Alliance. It was, yeah, it was Stockwell was Day. Yeah. Stockwell Day and uh, Stockwell Day. Joe Clark, ah. yeah. <laughs> Stockwell Day, huh? Last from the past. Day. Yeah. So Stockwell you mean, Jetski. I mean, it's so difficult to get electoral reform in this country. Uh, it's ridiculously difficult. Oh, but it was promised. Uh, Don't you remember? People, do you remember that people, promise we got there? I do. He was I promising remember, it the other day. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, I remember that, that Justin Trudeau. Well, he, he promised nothing, of course, but uh, I can remember Justin Trudeau initially saying that the 2015 election would be the last one yeah. fought under first past the post. And then, of course, he backed out of that promise and he he made this this classic uh, quote. Can you imagine a parliament where Kelly Leach was, you know, an MP and was being supported by five people? That was at a time when Kelly Leach was an MP and was being, I think, supported by five people for the leadership campaign and the conservatives under the current system. So, you know, as a, an argument against uh, proportional representation, it, it wasn't that great. Um, I, I notice, uh, you know, people are talking about maybe maybe ranked ballots in some cases. Uh, the former mayor, uh, the outgoing mayor of, uh, of Calgary, of course, uh, made uh, this point, if I'm not mistaken, uh, other people have talked about ranked ballots rather than proportional representation. There are there are pros and cons to each way of going about this. Just a, a quick question, though. I mean, hmm. serious question. Proportional representation. Uh, it would result in a parliament that more accurately reflects the popular vote, even though I think it's probably going to be relatively close this time around. Um, but it would have the potentially detrimental effect of bringing more fringe parties into parliament. If we had proportional representation, there's a reasonable chance the People's Party would get uh, a block of MPs. You know, uh, when, when France introduced, France right now has runoff balloting, uh, which is basically a form of ranked balloting or, you know, uh, the, the first round is the preliminary round. The second round is the playoffs for the top two candidates uh, in France. That's It's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's basically how it works. At one point in the 1980s, they introduced proportional representation, and the National Front won a large number of seats relative to what they had before. This was seen as the, detri uh, the, as the detrimental aspect of it. Do you think that that's sufficient reason not to go with PR? And do you think it's a sufficient reason not to go with any sort of reform? Uh, no, it's not a sufficient reason. I mean, only, and I'll make this short, sorry. Um, just yeah. that there are obviously Canadians who support those parties. And if you're looking at it as a true democracy or democratic election system, and you're looking for the, the most reflective one, that probably still makes the most sense. Uh, just because I, I, as much as like maybe we are personally against that, 
And I know that there are political ramifications and historical ramifications for, you know, not trying to include everybody or listen to those uh, fringe voices. But wouldn't it be more representative? Uh, tossing that out there. Sorry, Adam, I think I, I cut you. No, no, I was... Uh... I was going to say, and I'll try to keep mine brief too, but I've, I've never fully bought into proportional representation because I don't like the idea of like filling slots, like choosing representatives from like lists. And, and that's always been sort of the bugaboo of the PR movement. It's like, oh, we're going to have, you know, lists of party candidates. Like, well, where are the lists going to come from? And <laughs> I, I find that part of it, I just find really problematic. So which is why I've always proposed. We already have a section of our government where we essentially choose representatives from lists. What if we make the Senate proportional and we leave the House as being like, you know, mm. you choose your, your local representative and then senators are chosen to be at the proportional end of the government. And then you also get that push pull. I don't know if that would work particularly well, but I've always found that an elegant as long as we're like choosing people from lists, we're choosing people from lists to fill the Senate seats. <laughs> Might as well make it proportional <laughs> while we're at it. Well, anything that uh, could get rid of the patronage level in the Senate, although they insist it doesn't exist anymore, would yeah. probably be a good thing. But yeah, I mean, the, the main, I'm going to call it the Canadian argument is like, how can somebody represent an area that they're not from? But as we've seen, I talked a little bit about it, but <laughs> I talked a little bit about it before. It's like there's people in politics across the nation that exist, that exist, that run in and represent writings that they are not from, right? So that argument's a bit, you know, shaky, right? You can't say, well, you know, they don't know anything about uh, Mississauga Lakeshore, or, you know, pick, pick your writing. They don't know anything about Guelph. It's like, now, mind you, I will say that about Guelph, and I've said it in the past. Guelph is a place where we generally elect somebody who is who is a presence in the city, and we, we may be unique in that respect, because there's there's lots of places where people are elected and they're just the candidate, which kind of harkens to the list idea. It's like it wouldn't matter who it was mm -hmm. because they're from a list. It's like you're going to elect the liberal. You're going to elect the conservative mannequin. They might as well come from a list, right? So I guess it depends on location, but... I mean, it's, it's, something needs to be done. There does need to be an overhaul. We're just stalled in the system for so, so long. And I've got people, the arguments, People too, have been like, talking about this for 100 years, yeah, literally. exactly. And most, uh, most that, nations have made some changes with certain exceptions, like, I don't know, Canada, the U.S., right? Like, go ahead, well, rest of team. Yeah, Adam? I was going to say, the Liberals, uh, according to this uh, Tor Star tracker I'm looking at, 157. So, I mean, if that holds, that they will... When it was at 155, that's sort of... I mean, talk about nothing changing in the election, because at the time of the dissolution of Parliament, the Liberals had 155 seats. So if they end up with 157, that would be a... Uh, a win. I mean, I think that's the number of seats they went. They they yeah. won in uh, twenty nineteen. Yes, they did one fifty seven. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's uh, this lineup is pretty good. One fifty seven for the Liberals in twenty twenty one, one fifty seven in twenty nineteen, one twenty one seats for the Conservatives in twenty twenty one, uh, one hundred twenty one in twenty nineteen. Uh, the Bloc have lost two. The NDP have gained five, and the Greens... Uh, They're down one. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to talk about like having an, an election where nothing changes, congrats. That seems to be what we got. <laughs> I do want to make a point here uh, about the Toronto Sun and, and Post Media as well. 
normally when sun media and post media go like full out ballistic against the liberals it's because they think the conservatives are going to win this is one of the few times i've seen where they've like put the throttle up to 11 in terms of their anti-liberal rhetoric and it didn't actually uh pay off in terms of the end result uh i i don't know if i really even have a profound statement here i just wanted to say that uh, for once maybe their their uh uh, shark-like sensibilities for Canadian politics uh, didn't quite. Um, and they also had to shoot. Them in, down. They also had to shoot in two directions because there was that big, like, front page with like Bernier holding the crown over Trudeau's head, saying like, "A vote for the PPC yeah. is a vote for, you know, for Trudeau." And probably the ultimate case of doing the right thing <laughs> for the wrong reason would be telling people, "Hey." Don't vote for the People's Party because Justin Trudeau is bad, bad, bad. Uh, yeah, that not because Bernier is bad, but because Trudeau is bad. That's why you shouldn't vote for the PPC, according to the Sun. Well, uh, as, as I say, for once, uh, post media and and the Sun chains, uh, you know, their their instincts may have let them down. They they really went full throttle anti liberal with this one, and they backed the losing side. Right. No, yeah, we get the the sun and the star daily, and it's been interesting to to watch them both roll in with, you know, different coverage, obviously. Uh, but the the sun chose chose Warren Kinsella as one of their main pundits uh, for this election, and I I don't know how well that that would hit with like the voters that they were targeting, you know, as the you know uh, Chrétien's like policy advisor. Yeah, but he hasn't been out? aligned with. He he no. may still have a, he may still have a Liberal Party membership. I don't know, but he he hasn't really been aligned with the party in quite some time. Well, no, he, he, he ran for the personal. Liberals at one point, right? Ninety. He ran for he ran for Liberals. No, he's worked for everybody, but he ran for the Liberals, right? Yeah. In in a Vancouver riding in 1997, yes, he lost to uh, Ted White, who was an extremist in the Reform Party, which oh. must have been embarrassing. But uh, anyway, so the clock mm. is uh, running out. We're five minutes left. Uh, can I get a I don't know a one minute summary or wrap? I know it's a lot to jam in from each of you, starting <laughs> with the person on the screen currently, Adam A. Donaldson. Um. It it is what it is. <laughs> no, I, I mean, no, really. I mean, it, it it's a status quo. I mean, if if the intention for Justin Trudeau was to say, "You have a say. You tell us how we're doing," the Canadians have had their say. They said, "Okay, you're doing ex you know you're doing just fine. We like the Parliament the way it's made up. We like who we're representing us. I mean, we've traded some seats here and there, but more or less." Uh, when the votes are counted later this week, when like final totals are, are done and all that, the parliament we had is the parliament we have. And you're going to have to figure out a way to make it work. And that's, uh, I, I think that, that's where we were before this election. That's where we are now. There we go. Jack Fisher. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see a lot of change on the board. Uh, like, you know, minor victories, I think for the NDP and the conservative party, probably by the end of the night, but uh, functionally, it's the same government we had 30-something days ago. Um, it's It's been interesting to watch just sort of the, the different ways that the different places, again, are, are calling the election, but that's sort of a, a present moment, not for the future. Uh, not a surprise all around. There you go. The Christopher Curry. Thoughts? Justin Trudeau 
has exceeded expectations, at least relative to where he was a few weeks ago. Um, and a lot of his career, frankly, has been based around exceeding expectations. Uh, a line that I wanted to use in the 2019 election but forgot at the very last minute uh, was that uh, when, when, when uh, on that occasion, he won a substantial minority government victory as opposed to his father, who won only the, the narrowest of minority government victories in his second election. I was going to use the line, Justin Trudeau has exceeded his father's legacy first time for everything. Um, well, just as, you know, people have underestimated him and not without reason sometimes before, he's actually come up with a not terrible result uh, for himself and for his party. I think he can continue as leader on this basis, at least in the short term. Um, I, I don't think the NDP can really call this that much of a victory. They've gained a few seats, but I thought they would do better than this. Um, the Conservatives, seat-wise, have gained a bit more um, than I thought they would. Not by a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, I mean, Aaron O'Toole can obviously continue as leader. Whether he can get to the next level and uh, sell himself as the next Prime Minister of Canada is another thing. Uh, you know, when the election started, I thought to myself, I'll be, I'll be about this i thought to Mm -hmm. myself at some point in this election conservative support is going to go up and then it's going to go down again and when that happens is an important thing if it happens early the liberals will be re-elected if it happens late there's a good chance the conservatives could pull out a victory and when the conservative numbers ticked up at the beginning of the election i thought to myself this is probably good for the liberals long term now it almost if that was someone's plan, it almost worked too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Conservatives almost um, managed to um, gain a significant victory out of uh, their early lead, but ultimately that didn't happen, as we now know, of course. Right. So anyway, um, so uh, Christopher, we are almost it. out of time. I want to clock out right at, at midnight because overtime kicks in. Uh, I want to thank <laughs> you all for for joining us. We're, there are obviously going to be a bit more discussion on Open Sources Thursday at 5 p.m. Adam and I will uh, pick apart everything that's happened and and uh, and whatnot. Thank you, Jack, for joining us. Uh, the rookie mm-hmm. is now fully uh, vested on the team, and uh, welcome to the team. Christopher, once again, thank you for everything, and Adam, and our guests earlier, uh, Lydia Radzkan, and of course, Nora Loretto, originally from Georgetown, Ontario, now from Quebec <laughs> City. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to the Open Sources Election Special here on CFRU 93.3 FM. We do this uh, every, uh, every, every election period. And uh, join us for the next election, whatever the heck is. We're not we're not sure when that will be, but uh, who knows? It's a, minor, it's a minority, so it could be you know sooner rather than later. Like two years from now. Two years from now. <laughs> There's an election in the spring, a provincial election in the spring. Oh, true. Oh, there we go. There's there. Oh, yes, of course. A provincial election in the spring. Join us for that then. Uh, until then, we now have uh, our one of Rainbow Country. So stay tuned for that. Uh, take care, Which is folks. Not Thank- a country music show. <laughs> Is not because it's want about to say that. it's about the Nord, right? Of course. Uh, okay, gang, totally do. We will talk soon, and uh, thank you once again. And I really need to go to my uh, corner of the bunker and uh, fall asleep quite quickly. Okay, take care, folks, and uh, good night. <laughs>